Hey everyone, this is the Professor Rick Del Santo of the PWZ Podcast. If you're interested in professional wrestling of the independent kind, the National Wrestling Alliance, and the United Wrestling Network, check us out on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and anywhere you listen to professional wrestling podcasts. Shocking babies. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Necronomicon Ex Mortis, the book of the dead. Your move, creep. He didn't get out of the Constituty car! I have something to say. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Views and discussions contain spoilers. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is a must for all of you. If you don't go and see it, I shall personally come around to your houses and drag you out by the scruff of the neck. I shall belt you around the mouth and mouth you around the belt. Do you understand what I'm saying? See the Rocky Horror Picture Show, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Welcome, my unconventional conventionalists, to episode 23 of Shocking Things. This is John and Laura. Hi there. Happy October. Yes, and this is, we talked a little bit about our favorite films to watch in October and Halloween season, and we both agreed on our list that the Rocky Horror Picture Show is our favorite cult film to watch every October, correct, Laura? Correct. And not just watching the film around the house. Uh, it starts in late September. Um, Pandora, Laura, has uh, Rocky Horror, uh, the soundtrack playing constantly. So, <laughs> so uh, we're going to go a little bit over the film first. Now, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it started off as a musical. It's written by Richard O'Brien. It's a tribute to the science fiction horror B-movies of the 1930s through the early 1960s. The musical tells the story of a newly engaged couple getting caught in a storm and coming to the home of a mad transvestite scientist, Dr. Frankenfurter, unveiling his new creation, a sort of Frankenstein-style monster in the form of an artificially made, fully grown, physically perfect muscle man named Rocky, complete with blonde hair and a tan. So we're going to go a little bit over the cast and the crew. Uh, it was directed by Jim Sharman. He directed the stage production of the Rocky Horror Show as a well-respected theater director. And for films, he directed Shock Treatment, which is the sequel to Rocky Horror, and The Night Prowler. It's written by Richard O'Brien, who also did the sequel Shock Treatment. Jim Sharman assisted on the screenplay of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The soundtrack is by Richard O'Brien. And Laura and I both agree that the casting for this film is like nearly perfect, right? For yeah. each role, and especially Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, I don't think you could ever find anybody better. No, he's, he's perfect. Um, he's been in numerous films. Clue, Laura's favorite, Home Alone 2. Home Alone, yeah. Uh, Scary Movie 2, and uh, horror fans know mostly as Pennywise from the TV version of It. So he's, he's multi. Also a really good so role. I mean, look at how different all those roles are, and how great he is he's in very each role. Uh, Susan Sarandon is Janet Weiss. Uh, 
She's been in numerous films, a big star at them on Louise, Bull Durham, Dead Man Walking. Uh, Barry Bostwick is Brad Majors, probably most known for the TV series Spin City and in this cult classic film Megaforce. Richard O'Brien is Riff Raff, uh, is in Flash Gordon, Dark City, and Shock Treatment. Patricia Quinn is Magenta, she's in The Lords of Salem, The Meaning of Life, and Shock Treatment. Nell Campbell's Columbia, she's in Shock Treatment, Pink Floyd of the Wall, and Great Expectations. Jonathan Adams is Dr. Everett Scott. He's in Two Evil Eyes, The Jesus of Nazareth. Peter Hemwood is Rocky Horror. Doesn't have a huge resume. The last thing he appeared in was a documentary in 2009 called Great Directors. Meatloaf was Eddie. Uh, most people know him from his music career, but uh, he also appeared in films such as Fight Club, Wayne's World. Do you remember him, Wayne's World, Laura? No. No. And Formula 51. Charles Gray was the criminologist. He's in Diamonds Are Forever. You only have twice in shock treatment. Now, there would be no Rocky Horror Picture Show without the Rocky Horror Show, the play that preceded it. The best way to describe this link between the play, the film, and its fandom is described by author and the Rocky Horror Picture Show fan club president, Sal Pirro, in his book released in 1990, Creatures of the Night, the Rocky Horror Picture Show Experience. Now, in his introduction, Sal wrote, In early 1973, Richard O'Brien's musical, The Rocky Horror Show, starring Tim Curry, opened at the Royal Court Theater upstairs for a five-week experimental run. It was an immediate success and moved to larger King's Road Theater. The show won all sorts of awards, including Best Musical, given by the London Evening Standard. It later moved to the even larger Comedy Theater, where it had an incredible seven-year run. Early in its British run, the Rocky Horror Show was seen by rock and roll impresario Lou Adler, who purchased the American rights to the play. In 1974, the show had its American premiere at the Roxy Theater in Los Angeles. This production, which again starred Tim Curry, had a successful stint for over a year. The play was not so fortunate in its New York run on Broadway, where it ran at Belasco Theater for only 49 performances in April of 1975. Meanwhile, the movie was produced as a joint venture by Lou Adler and the show's British producer, Michael White. The Rocky Horror Picture Show starred Tim Curry and author Richard O'Brien, recreating their original roles as Dr. Frankenfurter and Riff Raff. American film star Susan Sarandon was cast as Janet, the film's heroine, and Broadway actor Barry Bostick was cast as a nerd hero, Brad Majors. Rock singer Meatloaf was cast as Eddie, the role he had played in the Roxy production. The film had its American premiere in late September of 1975 in Los Angeles, in a few key test cities. With the exception of Los Angeles, the movie was considered a failure, not given a major release, and promptly shelved. Then on April Fool's Day, 1976, a young executive at 20th Century Fox persuaded the Waverly Theater in New York City to replace their midnight show with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ironically, the city that rejected the play welcomed this movie with open arms. A group of fans came to see the film over and over again. They so loved the movie that they began to spontaneously participate with it by chanting a litany of responses and directions to the screen, wearing the makeup and costumes of the film's characters, utilizing props to enhance the atmosphere of the film in the theater, ultimately performing the film in the audience and in front of the screen simultaneously to its actions. 
The audience participation began to spread as the movie was booked at theaters throughout the country at midnight showings. Since then, the Rocky Horror Picture Show has become the number one cult midnight movie of all time, and the audience participation madness has spread throughout the world. Another facet of the film that John and I enjoy is when the film is performed by a shadow cast. Yeah, that's another huge part of the audience participation that we enjoy. Uh, wherever you live, if you search for shadow cast, Rocky Horror in your state, you might find one. Where we live is called the RKO Army. Uh, they're really fun. Another one that we saw that came to visit was from New Jersey called the Home of Happiness. That's the one we saw, Laura, with... Uh, Barry Bostwick in New Haven, the first time you saw it, if you remember. In New Haven, and yeah. that was my favorite time. Yeah, and they had a really elaborate, some of you are going to see there's different level, levels of uh, the props and costumes. That one had a really, really impressive, or the, the lab for Rocky Horror. If you remember that, that they had a whole like fish tank set up. It was elaborate. So it's a lot of fun, so definitely check it out where you live for a shadow cast. One of the biggest aspects of making the Rocky Horror Picture Show a cult film started in 1976 with a kindergarten teacher named Louis Faris from Staten Island, New York, who on Labor Day weekend 1976 felt compelled to yell at the screen. He's credited as the first person to yell lines at the movie. His earliest lines were, buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch, to Janet walking in the rain, and how strange was it to the criminologist's initial speech. Lewis called this his counterpoint dialogue. Another important aspect of the audience participation are the props that you bring to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, this has changed over the years. I'm going to have Laura is going to be nice enough to read what props are used for each scene. And then I'm going to explain how some have changed over the years with the policies of theaters. Okay, Laura, you ready? So the first prop would be rice. This is to be used at the beginning of the film, the wedding of Ralph Halpshat and Betty Monroe. As the newlyweds exit the church, you should throw the rice along on the on-screen wedding guest. Now, when I first went, this was very common. Laura, the viewings you went to, have you ever seen rice being used? Uh, no. It's Now it's pretty much outlawed. <laughs> That's why I want to... This is the original list when Rocky Horror first really started uh, in the 70s with the audience participation. But like I said, it's changed over the years. What's next, Laura? Okay, next is newspapers. When Brad and Janet are caught in the storm, Janet covers her head with a newspaper, the plain dealer. At this point, you should likewise cover your head. Yes, that that's fine. There's <laughs> They don't mind if you bring a newspaper. I don't think I ever realized that that's what it said. Yeah. I will now. Okay, the next prop is a water pistol. These are used by members of the audience to stimulate the rainstorm that Brad... Simulate. Stimulate. Stimulate. No, Frankenfurter. <laughs> Frankenfurter is the one stimulating people later in the film. Look, look. <laughs> to simulate the rainstorm that Brad and Janet are caught in. Yes, and that's another one. They don't mind if bring a little water pistol. Okay, next would be candles and flashlights. During the... There's a light verse of over at the Frankenstein Palace. You should light up the theater with candles, flashlights, lighters. Okay, another one that's changed over the years because of safety reasons. They don't really want to 
fire. So now so everybody's your phone. Exactly. Everybody uses their smartphone now. Okay. Next prop is rubber gloves. During and after the creation speech, Frank snaps his rubber gloves three times. Later, Magenta pulls these gloves off of his hands. You should snap your gloves in sync each time to create a fantastic sound effect. Yep. That's fun. Okay. Next is a noisemaker. At the end of the creation speech, the Transylvanians respond with applause and noisemakers. These, if you remember in the film, Laura, these are the old-style noisemakers that you move around like a 360 degree. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Those seem to be hard to find nowadays. Yeah, I, I can't say that. So that, uh, that one... Maybe a party store? Yeah, I, we have to look and see. It just seems like those are tougher to find nowadays. Okay, what's next? We have confetti. At the end of the Charles Atlas song, reprise, the Transylvanians throw confetti as Rocky and Frank head toward the bedroom. That's another one some don't mind. I've noticed some theaters and some don't want any. Okay. Toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. a funny one. <laughs> when Dr. Scott enters the lab, Brad cries out, great Scott. At this point, you should hurl, hurl rolls of toilet paper into the air. Yes. Yep. Preferably Scott's. <laughs> yes. Yep. So that one's still. If you notice, Laura, uh, sometimes if another thing we have to mention is a lot of these um, these shadow cast groups, they try and raise money because they you know they spend their own money for costumes and props. They'll sell their own prop bags, and you can buy from them. And if you notice the the rolls of toilet paper are smaller too. I don't know if that's for like a safety issue. They're not usually giant, yeah. thick rolls of toilet paper to wax them on the head. Okay, what's next, Laura? When Frank proposes, oh, sorry, it's toast. When Frank proposes a toast at dinner, members of the audience throw toast in here. Okay, this is another one. Have you noticed, Laura? They don't want actual toast. Yeah, it's fake toast. They, if you buy one of the prop bags, it's like a color photocopy of toast. Yes, of <laughs> toast on it to throw instead. Okay, next is your party hat. At the dinner table, when Frank puts on a party hat, you should do the same. Yes. And what else do we have? The bell. Okay. During the song, Planet, Schmanet, Janet, <laughs> ring the bell when Frank sings. Did you hear a bell ring? That one seems... I I don't really see, like, do you yeah. hear that as much? Nope. It seems like kind of like people, because a lot of people buy the prop bags. That's not in the prop bag, so it's just kind of, and people don't bring their own bell, it seems. Okay. Yeah. What's next? Okay, the next prop is cards. Um, during the song, I'm Going Home, Frank sings cards for sorrow, cards for pain. At this point, you should shower the theater with cards. Yep, that one they don't mind. A small amount of cards. It's not like a, yep. a huge, you know, a... A garbage bag full of cards. This is the next one I'm looking at, uh, I could tell you, has been outlawed, right? The last prop are hot dogs and prunes. <laughs> I've never heard the prunes before. Okay, so let's see. It says, it has happened on occasion that fans will throw hot dogs and prunes at their appropriate mention in the film. This should not be encouraged because it attracts rodents and leaves stains on the Okay, screen. when I first went, my brother and our friends, we would bring hot dogs and and after a while they said okay you can't do this anymore <laughs> for that reason because it attracts mice and rats also nobody probably wants to get hit with it hit no, hot dog no, no or a prune yeah the prune one that's a new one to me so that's from the official uh, rocky horror site 
this is, like I said, this is very old, but it's just, I figure people get a kick out of hearing how things have changed over the years, how it started off originally, and now, like I said, Laura's seen how prop bags, buying them, usually for $5 is like the standard nowadays. We mentioned the yelling at the screen, the shadow cast, and the props for audience participation. Another one that got really big, it is really one of the most fun times that we see during the film is the time warp when that song comes on. Laura, do you want to read the instructions that the criminologist gives during the film? It's just a jump to the left and then a step to the right with your hands on your hips. You bring your knees in tight, but it's the pelvic thrust that really drives you insane. <laughs> Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something unique that Rocky Horror Picture Show brings to live viewings is asking if you're a virgin before the show begins. Yes, it's either someone from the shadow cast, and if there's no shadow cast, someone from the fan club running the show who yells at the screen will ask you. And uh, basically they do like lighthearted like hazing. Uh, when my brother and sister-in-law went, she was a virgin the first time, and they walked around and asked her, and she didn't know what they meant, you know, by being a virgin. So they said, have you ever seen Rock or Picture Show live? She said no, or the film itself. So they took a, a uh, lipstick, red lipstick, and put a V on her forehead, and oh, she had to so have what? that the whole night. <laughs> So, yeah, so... Fortunately, uh, I was never subjected yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. The first one you went to was just like a few thousand people, so they didn't have time to go through yeah, all that, right? Yeah, I would have asked you. Yeah, yeah, and I would, I would have said, you're a liar. I'm always one of those people. They're like, raise your hand if you've never seen this. I never raise my yeah. hand. <laughs> In the Over at the Frankenstein Place sequence, where Janet covered her head from the rain with the newspaper... The prop was coated with plastic, so it could withstand many takes of being drenched with water. The coating, however, didn't cover the full page and left an area at one corner uncoated where Susan Sarandon was holding it, so it didn't look artificial. Water is clearly dripping from all parts of the prop, but you can clearly see that the only corner that she is holding is actually getting wet. Oh, that only the corner she is holding. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. The scene where Dr. Everett V. Scott crashes through the wall of the laboratory was a necessary last-minute idea because set designer Brian Thompson forgot to add a door to the room. Brad's line, Great Scott, was not in the original working script and likely also conjured at the last minute. So the entire scene involving throwing a toilet paper, one of the movie's most memorable if you're an audience member, was completely made up during the time of production. According to Meatloaf, Elvis Presley was the studio's first choice to play Eddie. Apparently, Elvis actually expressed some interest in the role. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? I mean... I I think I would have liked it. <laughs> I know, that's, that definitely sounds strange. I mean, he fits the... Yeah. He fits the bill. Oh. Writer and director Jim Sharman famously turned down an offer from 20th Century Fox for a larger budget and a longer shooting schedule if he would agree to cast more famous rock stars of the time. Mick Jagger, David Bowie, Lou Reed, Shear, etc., but he felt the people who were really responsible for developing it, from Richard Bryan's 14-page treatment, along with a cassette tape with most of the songs already written, into what ultimately became were the ones involved in the stage production. So he opted to keep as many original cast members as possible. In addition to this, as a possible reason for his success, movies are generally not 
rehearsed at any great length like stage shows are. Since the actors and actresses have already played the roles for quite some time, when this movie went to production, the process was old hat to the performers. They understood the artistic style and how to work with an audience. This was already very polished. Patricia, Patricia Quinn's hair was not dyed, but sprayed red every day of shooting. It sounds like fun, right? Ah, that's better. Uh, Peter Henwood, who was Rocky, couldn't sing well. During the soundtrack sessions, a session singer was used for Rocky Horror's part. Henwood mimicked the vocals during filming. In post-production, writer and director Jim Sharman wanted to change Rocky Horror's voice and hired Australian actor and singer Trevor White to dub the final vocals for the movie. White was interviewed for the 2002 book Rocky Horror from Concept to Cult. For filming, corsets for the finale had to be doubled for the pool scene, with one version drying while the other was worn on set. That's funny, huh? Peter Himmel discovered Rocky Horror's signature tiny gold hot pants in his home in the early 1990s and sold them at an auction. Hard Rock Cafe snapped them up and added to their memorabilia collection. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. While many of the costumes are exact replicas for the stage productions, other costumes were new to filming, such as Columbia's gold sequin swallowtail coat and top hat and Magenta's maid's uniform. The budget for the costumes was $1,600, far more than the stage production budget, but having to double up on costumes for filming was expensive. On the criminologist's desk, there were two framed pictures. One is of Franklin D. Roosevelt, and the other is of Ronald Reagan. Tim Curry modeled Dr. Frankenfurter's voice after Queen Elizabeth II and his mother. Richard O'Brien stated that when writing the stage play, he actually envisioned himself playing Eddie, but the director hired for the play felt he would be a better fit for Riff Raff. Some of the costumes from this movie had been originally used in the stage production. Props and set pieces were reused from old Hammer Horror productions and others. The tank and dummy used for Rocky Horror's birth originally appeared in Revenge of Frankenstein from 1958. These references to earlier productions, in addition to cutting costs, enhanced the cult status of this movie. Filming took place at the Oakley Court in Windsor, England. The same location was used for the horror movies The Brides of Dracula, 1960, and Now the Screaming Starts, 1973, The Old Dark House, 1963, and The Murder by Death, 1976. The castle now serves as a luxury hotel. Sue Blaine's costumes designs are credited with inspiring the punk look. Director Jim Sharman said that while writing the screenplay with Richard O'Brien, they were going for a darker version of The Wizard of Oz. To that extent, during the Time Warp Chorus, the vocals of the Transylvanian backup singers were sped up to sound more like Munchkin-like. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the girls looks like a Munchkin, too, in the film, if you notice one of the Transylvanians. Okay, no. <laughs> okay. According to Richard O'Brien, the church was a facade. For the interior church scenes, they could only shoot one side of the real church room as they couldn't afford the whole thing. I thought this one was interesting. In a July 2021 interview, Susan Sarandon said that she didn't plan to audition to play Janet. She just stopped by the set to say hi to Tim Curry, who was a friend of hers. While she was there, producers saw her and asked her to try out. They said everyone that auditioned so, so far were good singers, but none of them made the Janet very funny, which is what they wanted. Sarandon said no because she can't really sing. In fact, she's kind of phobic about it. So producers asked her if she could just sing Happy Birthday. She said yes, and they convinced her to do it. They loved her in the cast for her role. Sarandon admitted it was a lucky fluke. Yeah, she's great in it.
So my very first experience seeing this movie was on October 30th, 2016 at the College Street Music Hall in New Haven for the 40th anniversary. Um, they were also accompanied by a shadow cast. Um, I may be off base here, but I tried to watch this movie many times as a teenager because the word horror was in it, like horror movies, and to no avail. Like, I could never get into it. I have two friends I could think of off the top of my head don't like the film because they thought it was a horror film. It wasn't, and they would never give it a chance. I said, you have to see this live. It's like, nah, I don't care. I'm like, and those were the magic words. I didn't give it a chance because I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. Uh, once you understand it, you understand how magical this movie is. The music really brings everything together for me. It's, the uniqueness and the talent and... Yeah, just the visuals of the film. Just, yes. uh, I mean, just the, the time period this came out was very ahead of its time. And even though it wasn't the, the average movie-going audience didn't like it, it had a, a cult following. And then it just, after a while, it just, it got huge. And now it filled up, uh, what... 3,000 people went to see it. It was sold out. So that just shows how powerful this film is. And it was almost like going to see um, a live concert. It's a It is. It, it is. It pulls you in and ropes you in so hard. I didn't know what hit me. Like, I was, I was in awe of all the people, like, throwing things and how they remembered what to say when the people came out. and Everyone's dressed up, everyone's too. Everyone's dressed up. And it was just, like, a, a freeing, like, everybody's just themselves. It was just having fun. Unapologetic. I, I didn't see one grumpy person the entire night. Everyone was having fun. Everyone was nice to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really uh, cool to have... Barry Boswick, who was Brad Majors there, he was doing a question and answer session. You could tell he was having a blast, you know, during this whole thing. Yes. It was just such a unique experience that I'll never forget. And since then, I, we, I always want to go. Yeah. Now, what's the next one we went to, Laura? Okay, so the next one was October 2018 at the uh, Mystic Luxury Theater in yeah. Mystic. And that was the RKO Army. Yeah, they were fun. They they were definitely just they added their own elements to it. So they because uh, they do this all year round. They don't just do it in October. So for this particular one, we went to. Do you remember they had a thriller theme too? So they're doing the thriller dance. Yeah. During that was parts of fun. it, yeah. So they were dressed up as Michael Jackson, the zombies, because they're doing this near Halloween time. So that was really cool to see that you know, liven it up so it's not, because they probably get bored doing the same thing over and over again, so they added these elements, you know, to make it a little different. I agree, and it makes it fun for us. And also, my one of my favorite parts about the whole movie is at the very beginning, to science fiction, which is also one of my favorite songs. Yes. Um, when they have a, oh, you just, somebody come out and dance for the yes. beginning of this scene. So now, the first time I ever saw a Rocky Horror Picture Show was in 1990 at the York Square Cinema in New Haven, Connecticut. It started at 11 p.m. every Saturday. Uh, I went, my brother was dating a girl in college at the time. She heard about the film. It sounded intriguing, the whole audience participation part. So we went, and the prop aspect. So we went, and I didn't know what to think of it, because I'm kind of trying to watch this as the film itself, and then people are throwing things and yelling at the screen, and it was like, all right, I like the film itself, let me go back again, and then I started really getting into it, and almost a year and a half straight, we would go every Saturday night, like clockwork, 
and it was a blast. And that crowd, there was no one dressed up, there was no shadow cast. It was mostly college students that went, high school and college students that went. Everyone had a blast. Uh, they didn't care what type of props you brought. They didn't care about the rice or the hot dogs at the beginning. And then after a while, they they said, okay, you can't do all this. And they would actually check your bags and stuff <laughs> to make sure. Uh, one time, I don't know why, my brother brought uh, a battery-operated M16 Entertech rifle for the water gun. Don't ask me why. And back then, they're all black. They look like... <laughs> oh <my laughs> yeah. But yes, it was a different time. Um, one funny thing was uh, during the Great Scott scene when my friends threw the roll of toilet paper and it hit a girl in the head and she got mad and threw her soda at him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a blast. Uh, one time that was really, really fun was uh, this bus came from another state. I don't know what state they came from. So this charter bus came with packed with people and they all came just to see Rocky Horror New Haven and that was really really fun because yeah, everybody there they knew the movie like the back of their hand so that was it was a, it was a blast uh, and 1990 was the 15th anniversary of Rocky Horror so they started really doing this heavy marketing with t-shirts comic books uh, books I would buy all everything I saw I would buy at the time and uh, Sal Piero ran the official fan club, and I sent him my $5 to get my official membership card and pin and a newsletter. So, yeah, so that was uh, that's what really started it. And I'm glad Laura got to experience for her first time seeing it in New Haven at the College Street Music Hall, because that was very similar to the experiences I had, except mine were obviously a lot more stripped down. But for being in a big venue, that still had that that real feel, that real fandom feel. It didn't feel like fake or, do you agree, it didn't feel fabricated. It felt no, like... I was in awe of it. It felt very real. Even though it was a big production, it didn't feel, uh, you know, that it was watered down or overproduced. It, it was just great. Not at all. It was very artsy. Every Rocky Horror Picture Show experience Laura and I had together were unique, and... The most recent one we had was probably the most unique out of all of them. Do you agree, Laura? Yeah, I could say that. <laughs> uh, the town we live in, the this is the first annual Boo Bash the mayor set up, and it was a really fun event. Uh, we don't know why it was a very strange choice to have Rocky Horror Picture Show as the film to be played at night. It was activities for children during the day, and they said at night we're going to have a movie for adults, and it's Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it was very odd because when we went to see this, there were still a lot of kids running around and playing and having fun in costumes. <laughs> and it seemed like halfway through, the parents didn't know what they're having their children being subjected to. Right, Laura? Right. And I don't. We didn't know what to expect either because I was kind of on. I was a little nervous because it was after an event for the kids. The kids ended and then we began. So I was like, well, I'm not sure. It's like a town event. And they did make an, a disclaimer. Yeah, they told the everyone, started. this is for adults. This isn't for children. And they, right, for like five minutes straight, this kid said, I, we're telling you this is not for children. This is an adult-themed film. So you might want to take them home. And then half the people just ignored the guy. And then halfway through, you could see this one little kid is Mario, dressed up as Mario, probably seven years old. He was 
he was having a blast trying to look and see. His mom was trying to pull him away from, from the yes, nudity. I, I know exactly what scene it was. It was the the scene where Rocky enters Janet's room. Is that when? <laughs> the mom started packing up. She's and... like, all right, come here. And he's trying to look. He's trying to look and see he what's did. going she on. Was, she was making him leave, and his head was focused like, yeah, <laughs> it was a angle yeah, it was a very unique experience because I'd say probably ninety percent of the audience have never seen this movie. They had no clue what was going on. Yes. There, there was, was a handful of people. A handful of people. A handful and of people tried to start the audience participation. Then this guy gave up when he's like, "Okay, nobody's doing this. Nobody knows what's going on." Very and he, quickly. And then Laura yelled at me when I was doing the participation. She's like, John, be quiet. I'm like, Laura, the whole point of this film is to yell at the screen. Yeah, but it was very awkward because there were so many little kids. <laughs> and it was just, so we just enjoyed the night sky and the film. Yeah, the they air, had food the trucks. Breeze, uh, yeah, you know? the food trucks. There was pumpkins all over the place, right? It was yes, just. It felt very it, it was, yeah, it, it was a fun time. It was just a very, definitely the most strange experience we've ever had seeing Rocky Horror Live. I could tell you that. Another thing I found interesting, um, on the screen they had, it was from the DVD they were playing on the inflatable screen, it said the UK version or US version, and the guy that started the audience participation yelled, no, no, hit the UK version, and that's another uh, thing we have to bring up. There's two different versions. When I first saw the film, you know, there, was, there were physical 35mm prints, and they only had the US version. Now, the UK version seems to be the one that is more popular because it has the extended scene at the end with the song Superheroes. And that's the version that's more popular now. And that was that man was very angry they did not play the UK version. Did you notice that, Laura? He did. But in his defense, it does end very abruptly. Yes, it does. The US version. Like, what happened? Yeah, you just see Dr. Scott and then the, the castle blows, you know, yeah. goes up and... And the criminologist talks, but yeah, <laughs> that that was interesting. Just that this guy was very grumpy about that. So until next time, let's do the time warp again. To see photos and links about each subject we discuss in each episode, please go to anchor.fm slash shocking things. That has all of our episodes and links to our social media, as well as a link to the shocking things store.